This is the Beyond the Dojo podcast. I'm Lauren. I'm Jeremiah. Do you ever notice how with kids like under the age of eight, generally, when you give them pretty clear instructions and they just don't do that? Like the one day that you were <clears throat> explaining to the kids how to rotate out partners. Oh, yeah. And you're like, rotate, and Jaina goes, whoo, and spins in a circle. Uh, yeah. The other day, Adeline... I was trying to teach her how to step backwards in back stance, which is really difficult for little kids for some reason. She's like six. And I'm like, she's like stepping backwards correctly on one side, but on the other side, she's just spinning all the way around rather than stepping around the other side with the other foot. And I'm like, okay, Adeline, just keep your eyes on me the whole time as you step backwards. So she does it on one side. And then on the other side, she just like exorcist turns her head over and stares at me upside down as she just continues to do the same thing and all the parents were dying laughing and I'm like listen I am a serious teacher this is bullcrap <laughs> it's like that every day so the joys of teaching children probably in any field so we wanted to continue on with the topic from our previous episode um, that episode we kind of talked about getting a dojo started and in this one we want to talk more about like the maintenance and like the everyday business of running a dojo and different things we've experienced, tips we have. Our cat is using the litter box, of course, right as we get started, so there's scratching noises. Um, that's not what we're gonna talk about, but yeah. So any initial thoughts on that, on like, you know, we let's say we've got the building squared away, we've got a student body, we're doing the everyday of running a dojo. Any tips on that? Uh, honestly, you know, being consistent, mm-hmm. you know. I know it sounds weird, but don't be late for your own class. Yeah. Don't, don't take days off without having some kind of like week or, or more notice. Like, hey, I'm not, we're not going to have class these days. Mm-hmm. Um, be as committed as you want your students to be committed. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a thing that I don't think some people really consider. Yeah, and that was something I experienced a lot growing up where the instructor would like last minute ask someone else to take their spot. And it's great when you have a community of people who can do that, but the down, but it's, it's annoying, first of all, for the people who are taking your spot to teach, but then also for your students, like they don't know who's going to be teaching or they don't know when you're going to get there. I mean, students need time to change clothes or warm up or whatever. So yeah, I totally get that. That's if it's a business, especially, Run it yeah, like a business. Run it like a business. And just know that we're approaching this from running it like a business. I get it. Like, if you're running it just a club, that's different, I, I guess. Um, I still feel like you do, if you're the head sensei, you do have some responsibilities to, like, be professional. But if it's a club atmosphere and you're not doing it for money, okay, that's fine. Well, I wouldn't even say that because, you know, you should have a class. A, a club should run a certain way. It shouldn't yeah. be just hodgepodge is never really going to sustain itself mm-hmm. or have any longevity so treat it you know be on time be, yeah. uh, pretend as if you're the, the student that's a part of the club yeah and how you want to handle it, so yeah and even like especially if you have your own building your own location or whatever and even if you don't if you're if you're using somebody else's space i think it's very telling of the humility that martial arts teach teaches if you are maintaining that space so, you know, making sure the dojo floor is clean, making sure the grounds are clean, making sure parking is accessible, doing as much as you can to, like, 
basically take care of what you have been given to take care of. Um, I, don't, I don't just mean your students, obviously take care of your students, but also the space that you are, are you know, utilizing. Um, a clean floor, like it's super annoying to clean on, to train on a dirty floor. I get that it happens, but yeah. keep the floor clean. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of those things are kind of common sense if you're serious about running a dojo. I think there's other things that you could talk back that, um, may not cross someone's mind. I never crossed, never thought about the systems that you put in for, you know, invoicing children, yeah. um, and, you know, signing in all these other things you've done. So maybe you could talk about those things cause. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. So because we have multiple businesses running out of our one location, especially, um, I've had to learn like what kind of systems work, um, maybe across business types. Um, number one piece of advice is try not to pay for things you don't need to pay for. Um, we started off our business and thought it was a great idea to use this very expensive piece of software that was supposed to help us with billing and was supposed to help us with student sign-ins. It was a disaster. It was six months of me frantically trying to figure out how to use it. The company was extremely unhelpful. If you'd like to know the name, it's Zen Planner. I will go and tell them how bad they were. It was awful. It was the worst investment I've ever made. Um, don't do it. Not just in planner. Like don't use expensive software, especially if it isn't needed. You're better off to do pen and paper to start with, but essentially it's important to find systems that are within your budget that are easy for you to use. If it's got a steep learning curve, you have to evaluate whether or not using that system is going to be worth it for you. So it could be software for your billing. It could be software for your sign-ins, um, any kind of communication software, emailing, things like that. If it's too much for you to handle, just don't bother with it because if the number one goal is to be a good teacher and to make sure that you're putting time into your students, that needs to be the number one focus. And I have made the horrible mistake of using all kinds of stuff and doing all kinds of things that were not necessary. It's also not only difficult for you as a business owner, but it's really difficult difficult for your customers and for your students if they have to constantly relearn how to do new stuff, if they're having to learn how to use your new billing software, if they're having to learn how to sign themselves in. It, it can be difficult because not everything is intuitive. So what we have landed on, if this kind of helps, is um, we have a sign-in system that I built out of a Google form it's really simple um, because we have multiple things going on in our business. When a person comes in, they select their name from a drop-down sheet. I have to update that and add the names in. Unfortunately, they can't just type their name, but they can select their name from a drop-down sheet. They select what they're there for. So if they're there for karate, they just click karate. They click next, and then they can select their class, and boom, it's done. I have it all in a Google Sheet so I can see everything. For me, that's important because if I need to go back and reference when a student was last present, I've got it all in a Google Sheet so I can see it. Um, if it was handwritten, which is how you know I grew up and everyone was writing their names as they walked in the door, um, then that's difficult. And that's only if you know you have a business where you need to keep track of when students were last there. Um, our, our memberships are run on an unlimited basis. So you know how often a student comes doesn't really matter, but we do that in case we need to reach out to a student um, you know, for whatever reason they weren't there. So there are a number of systems that we have. Let me kind of start from the beginning and work my way through because we have a bunch. The first one is how we accept new students. When, new, when people contact us, I actually have a canned response, which is just a pre-written response, 
when they ask me a question about how much it costs or when a class is or how to get started. All of those questions are answered in this response. I copy and paste the response, add the person's name, say, you know, reach out if you have any questions. The first step for any student age of six or over is they come to an intro class. We purposely set up an intro class separately from our regular classes because we don't have a separate area to, to run another class. Um, and we've found that it's less intimidating if a student comes in by themselves, which I know that might sound counterintuitive, but if a student is by themselves, we can take extra time to teach them what they need to know before they go into their class. And on that same note, what we do is I usually take the student and run them through the basics. Jeremiah takes the parents aside, and you want to talk to them about what you usually yeah, talk to parents normally about. Normally, I, I tell, I give them the expectations, how we run the class, what we expect from the parents as, uh, as far as discipline. So if the child is asked out of the class to leave the class, we don't expect, you know, we'd like, we wouldn't like to, we don't, how would I say this? We would like to, to see the parents support our actions. Um, and I go as far to explain, you know, don't give the kid Mountain Dew and Twinkies while he's sitting there. Um, that's if they, if they get sent off the floor. If they get sent off the saying. floor. Yeah. Um, try to be, you know, try to have them support you as much as possible. I explain to them, you know, how we do our discipline, how we, you know, what first, the first little um, interaction when a child is misbehaving, we just say out loud, hey, this is not acceptable at this time. We don't use a name. We don't call anybody out. We make a, a general statement to the entire class. Uh, if it happens again, we will look at the child say hey this is not acceptable look at them make sure they understand i'm talking to them on the third one we use their name and we kind of make it a very public thing where we're like hey this is hey billy you can't be picking your nose and flinging the burgers on the floor and we kind of just put it out there for everybody to say we do the disciplinary actions loud enough so that if the parents are in the lobby they hear every one of them and that's deliberate so that you know everybody in the situation is understands what's going on i explained the parent to the parents this for one reason and one and, and the main reason is this i don't want to hear the parents say oh i didn't know you're going to treat my child this way or that way we make it very clear how we do things we make it clear how each what focus each class has like our the six age, 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 age group and everything like that our six to eight year olds are you know, we expect them to learn how to listen to directions very specifically. So we make them a little bit, you know, detailed so that they follow it through. Um, hand us the ball. Don't throw the ball at us. Don't toss the ball at us. Walk over and hand it to us. And, you know, if they run over and hand it to you, did you walk? You know, certain things like that, just because that age group is what we focus on. Um, and then the third thing is we give them, we give them the kind of layout. You know, I usually describe it as a disciplinary action as, as a three strike rule right get three strikes and you're out we kind of you know kind of play that that idea um and then i explained to them that majority of the kids don't ever get out it's rare that we ask a child off the floor i mean they really really are like trying their hardest to get out of class yeah um if it's a reoccurring issue we explain to them that we will pull the parent child and teacher off to the side and we'll discuss a, a, a viable um, plan of action right so if it's you know if you do this we will expect you to do this and then all three of us agree in front of each other that's the way we can be held accountable so if your child is constantly picking his nose flinging it on the floor the next time you do that you'll do 20 push-ups or you'll miss you'll lose two minutes of game time whatever it is 
we lay it out there. So the child has to agree to it, verbally agree to it, parent verbally agree to it, then um, the teacher also. And that's primarily with older classes because with the little kids class, it's pretty much like the discipline has to be immediate or they don't understand. Right. So like how you set that up is just going to be dependent on which what class group, yep. yeah, that you're working with. And yep. But he's explaining all of this to you know, while I'm working with Absolutely. the kids. Absolutely. And then or, the last thing... Adults. Yes. Last thing is like if there's a reoccurring issue, you know, we we ask them, okay, what is the, how do you handle this situation, and what is the best way we should handle it? Mm-hmm. Uh, it? Even if it's like trigger words, like if you call the child by its full name, Billy, whatever, you know, the full William, 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 <laughs> William Bradley Hart, you know, if that's what you need to call that child, call by its full entire name to get their attention, then that's what we'll do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's anything that can, you know support the parents already existing actions and they kind of make it blend into where we're on the same page mm-hmm. uh the last thing is that we we explain the other side of the the self the, the discipline and that's um every class is new nothing is a hangover so if you, your kid's having a bad class the next class to show up we try our best not to have any hangovers because you know, every kid has a bad day and we kind of make sure the parents understand that we understand some kids just have a bad day. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the last thing we do is we um, ask them if there's any other questions or, or is there any medical issues, issues that we need to know about? Does he have asthma? Um, is he ADHD? Is he a, you know, does he have violent outbursts? Does he want to, does he hit his siblings? You know, just so that we know what to expect. Yeah. And, by doing that, by asking, telling them the expectations, telling them how we handle it, um, including them into the des- discipline, and then be asking questions about their children, what we're doing is we're creating a, not a bond, but an opportunity for open discussion of how to handle your child. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I say it in a little bit like it's training the parent to understand what we're trying to do so that they could use our system to help themselves and help us. So. Now, obviously, if this is an adult student, that conversation is totally no, different. It's not a discipline thing. Instead, we usually just talk to them about what their expectations are yeah. and like what their goals are for karate training because not everyone has the same goals that we do necessarily. So we try to talk to them a little bit about that, kind of highlight areas that maybe will appeal to that because um, you know it is a little bit of a sale. But essentially, we're trying to be honest. Um, and we also, um, we offer our first two classes for free. So our intro class, and then whenever the person steps into the regular class, we have them do those first two classes for free because we really don't want to work with someone who's not bought into what we're doing. If they get in there and they hate it, it's more of a headache for us. Um, cause we've had plenty of people that wanted to pay right after the intro class or before that. And we're like, please don't, I would rather that you didn't, we're not going to give you a refund. We just want you to try the two free classes first yep. and make sure that this works for your schedule, that this is, that this is what you are thinking it is. Because sometimes they think it's one thing, and that ain't what it is. Right. So depending on how you run your dojo, you know, you want to make sure that they, they understand what that is and what you emphasize. So after that intro class, student goes into their regular class. They start gradually working through, um, you know, your syllabus material. Um, so just a couple other touch points real quick before we get into maybe the syllabus. Um when our students come in, like I said, they they sign in at the front. That way we're able to keep track of, of who's coming in. Right. Um, we have a, um, our, our membership is set up so that 
you know, they have a monthly membership fee. When they first sign up, we do charge an annual liability insurance fee, and we are very transparent about what that is. Um, that is because our monthly rates are so extremely low that if we don't charge a liability insurance fee, then we can't afford it. So we charge uh, like a once a year, a very small fee um, to cover that. And then uh, if they buy a uniform from us, then we charge for that as well. And then they just have the flat rate every month. So I use Square. Um, it, to me, it's the most intuitive software I've seen as far as billing. I know that some people will just have people pay cash and check. Other people will set up ACH straight to someone's bank. Um, I don't know how the heck that would work, but um, I've just done Square, which is really easy, and you can use it for you know multiple aspects of your business. So we do it that way, and then obviously we don't do contracts, so a student can cancel at any time. Um, they can set up auto pay, all of that kind of stuff. So that's that's been really great. Um, and then there are other things like keeping up communication, whatever. I have other automations set up. This is getting a little bit more in depth. Once again, we, this is our, we do this as a business. So when a student comes in, whenever they come to the intro class, they come to two classes, they decide that they want to sign up, their parent fills out a form, another form, on one of our tablets, and they just basically fills out their basic contact information, billing information. I use Zapier, and then that information is actually taken and sent to three places. It's sent to Google Contacts, so that their contact information is sent to my phone. It's sent to Square so that they are put in Square as a contact so that I can bill them. And then their name is sent to MailChimp. And then there's from MailChimp is a email um, blast thingy, whatever it's called, uh, mass, mass email doodad. So from there, they actually get a welcome email that gives them any basic information that they would need. So we have a video on how to put your gi on, how to tie your belt. It's got the Dojo Kun in there. Um, it's got a link to a video of Hyun Shodan. Um, and then I, I actually did originally have a link to the warm up that I haven't updated in a while. Yeah. But it's got basic information that anybody would need in order to get started, and it's putting them on our email list so that from there, if we have any announcements, we can email all of, all of the people who are on that list. So we've got a number of things that happen up front pretty quick um, that try to make that seamless. So that and, and I have it set up automatically so that I don't forget because I have a lot of things to remember. I don't want to have to remember all of that. So that's Tra just kind of Translated, she sometimes forgets. Yes. Well, I would forget if it wasn't automatically set up. So sometimes <laughs> I have to go back and double check that my systems are still working. Um, but that's kind of the, the beginning stages of how we get the student in, all of that kind of stuff. And we have other systems like... Um, how we do testing we have a, a big checklist for what needs to what needs to happen yeah. before we have an exam you yeah. know what steps we need to take uh between you know purchasing belts and um you know making sure students are ready making sure that the, the dojo is ready planning letting parents know so this is a lot of information obviously but just to reiterate you don't have to do everything just yeah. find systems that you need something that you find that you're repeating yeah. Over and over again, a process, that's a system. So yeah, you know, that's another Lauren one of those. skimmed over the idea that we have systems even for our, our belt, our ranking, kind of how we do that. And I think that's a big part, too, is to have a consistent system and expectations so that everybody knows exactly what they need to do. Yeah. Lauren did a great job the other, gosh, almost two, three months ago now, where she we took the syllabus and then underneath the syllabus or next to it, she said, okay, this is okay. what we expect at this rank. Yeah. You know, and it was simple. I was, for example, I'll give you the first test. It was a... Your, your stances were the right shape, mm -hmm. right? You used both hands for, for blocking. Mm -hmm. You knew what you you knew how to do it. You knew how to do the basics that we asked for, the basic you know front stance, blocks, kicks, punch, 
right? And then when you did kata, it was like, okay, well, kata's expected, you, you know, you, it'd be nice to have the kata entirely done in full, no, no issue. But at, at first test, if you make a small mistake, that's still acceptable. Because we know beforehand, they, before they test, they're able to do it. They've done it several times in front of us. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's literally testing pressure and some people just fold. Yeah. Right. They, they don't test well. So we we take that into consideration. And as the ranks go higher, the accept- expectations are higher and the in the the acceptable mistakes are eliminated. Like, you know, after a certain rank, you got to make sure you hit hit your notes. So to clarify, we we're not part of an organization. We took a syllabus that we had and yeah. adapted it slightly and essentially rewrote our syllabus. And my beef with syllabi is that they do not spell out expectations so the syllabus itself is fairly standard but we decided you know between there's there's three of us that essentially make the decisions as far as ranking so we we decided okay these are specific metrics that we're going to use so if a student gets two or fewer movements wrong on hand shodan and the general premise of the kata is correct and it's their ninth q exam then we will pass them but if they get three or more moves wrong we're cutting yeah. it so and we used that on our last exam and that was the parameter that we used to pass one student who got a handy done movement wrong and another student they who, messed, who it messed it up right. more than one move on handy done wrong so sometimes being very specific like that if you do that and not only helps you as an instructor but if you have to explain yourself to the student or to the parents yeah, you need to be clear yeah, there's there's an established expectation. You didn't meet the expectation. Yeah. This is what happens. And this is the specific expectation. And I know that that's the beef that people have with organizations. Is like they were like, well, I wouldn't pass my exam, but they gave me some ambiguous answer, and I don't understand why. They said that my hand was turned wrong here and there, and then somebody right. else tested me, and they said something else. We don't want we don't want that. We right. want it to be extremely clear. Like this is not. It is our our professional opinion, but. We have a standard that we're going by, and it's not just movements listed on a page. It's actual metrics. So yeah. that was, I argued for that, like, we need to do this. <laughs> yeah, and that system in itself is is really clarified a lot of the issues we would we would normally have to be, you know, a lot of this drama and, and stress over how we could explain to the student how they, they messed up. It's now really simple. You made two or more mistakes, and yep. you can't can't pass and it's easier as judges because we decide for ourselves i mean we we literally looked at each other looked at the page said nope i mean we didn't even have to have a discussion between the three of us because we knew hey it was on the page they didn't do what was asked on the page obviously we can interpret that a little bit as well we're not trying to be completely black and white but that's been a huge help i think absolutely and and I still want to reiterate that when we ask a student to test, it's mm-hmm. not just to show up and anybody can show up. We invite people to test because we have practiced and, and prepared for that test for at least a month beforehand. Mm-hmm. And they were able to repeatedly do what we asked and follow in those class guidelines. and follow those guidelines. Yeah. They met that criteria and mm-hmm. passed it yeah. several times before we invite, invite them over because we're not trying to put our students in a, failing situation we want to make sure they're successful mm-hmm. the reason why we still have them test is because it's different when you have to perform under pressure yeah and at certain ranks we understand it and at certain rankings we don't we, there's no exception right 
but that's a sliding rule of, of where you're at in your karate. So, but being able to have those types of parameters in place oh, and yeah. to abide by them and to explain them clearly to your students oh, yeah. is a huge advantage because even if you're breaking someone's heart because they you don't get you don't ask them to test, it's better off that you do that rather than fail them yeah. and not really have a clear explanation as to why they were failed or you pass them and then their karate sucks. Um, overall, think about this as far as like maybe student retention or building the quality of your dojo. It's right. important that all of this stuff, like you try to create a standard and stick by it. And for us, luckily, um, the parents of our students, the children, um, are pretty pretty involved. And in yeah. even the some that don't have a lot of time are really involved to the point where that you know they look up YouTube videos. They're yeah. they're watching their kid practice like, at home, don't. right? And <laughs> And when we say we, you know, when they ask us, hey, what about Billy? We're like, well, Billy doesn't do this, this or this. Yes. He messed these moves up. We can't yeah. ask him. It's inconsistent still. And they know that. They see mm-hmm. it and go, oh, okay. And that's it. There's no, you don't like Billy. You, you're being rude. You're, you're being whatever. Yeah, they don't, they they don't think it, take it that way. They don't take it that way because they, they know there is an expectation. This is the expectation. And it's very objective. Right? It's very objective. It's not subjective. No, it's very... Uh, Subjective is opinion. Objective is like yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. I got it mixed up. It's in my okay. Head <laughs> I did that on the last one. I was like, did I just say the right word? <laughs> yeah. uh, it's very objective, and and you know, it now to now now when it comes up to higher ranking, you know, round belt level stuff like that, the technique is objective, right? But there are some things that are subjective that you have to consider. Sure, but that's There's always going to be a little bit right that is. there. That is that is where you by that time you've created such a relationship not only with the student mm-hmm. but with the, the parents to describe those things and yes. then being more welcoming and accepting of it because they've yeah. seen up to a certain point mm-hmm. everything is very straightforward and we're not trying to mislead anybody. Okay, so I have some points to make about that in just a second. I want to do say two more things about testing systems, real quick. So one is <clears throat> um, after an exam. And then from that, well, first of all, I think it's important to, to schedule regular exams. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, we, hold on, I'm still number one. When I was young, <laughs> oh, when one. I was younger, we had a strict like three or so months that we, we would test every three months or have an exam every three months. Not everyone tested every three months, but we would have an exam every three months. Um, and then things happened and we didn't and then and whenever I took over managing the dojo we hadn't had an exam in a year and a half um which was unacceptable there were white belts who should have been orange belts by then there, so there were 10 cues that should have been seventh cues mm-hmm. by then um but they couldn't even get their hand showed on so there were other issues there as well but um I think it's very important that you for to make sure that you're on pace because remember these are going to be goal-oriented students for the most part um or at least to a point you need to have regularly scheduled exams, not to say that everyone has to test every time, but you need to have them because it makes sure that you keep pace as an instructor. Sometimes we can get distracted and sometimes we can kind of go off on little tangents and do fun things here and there and that's fine. And I get that some stu- some clubs do not focus a lot on syllabus work. They just do whatever the instructor feels like they want to do. And I mean, I guess that's fine. But once again, if you're running a professional club, it's not about the ranking per se, but it is about progress. So are they actually seeing a progress in knowledge regardless of whether or not they're testing? The test is just an external showing of what that is. 
Are you actually setting this up so that you are seeing a consistent increase in knowledge? Because one of the reasons that people leave dojos and organizations at every rank is because they're not learning anything anymore. We have heard this complaint from higher level Yudancha over and over again, that they, they are not learning anything anymore. That's not fair, especially to a Q rank, that they're paying these fees and they're not learning anything from you. So make sure that for your own good, that you're scheduling regular exams to make sure that you're on track and then map that out in your brain. So right after we have an exam, we start immediately, we, we make sure that their previous kata is shored up in case there was any loose ends and we'll continue to work on that so they don't forget it. But then we also start teaching the next one and we don't teach it all at once. We try to teach it in little bits and pieces because we want to make sure the quality is there. But we're starting to teach that next kata over the next couple of weeks. We're starting to teach them their new kihon. We're maybe taking it one step at a time. There might be a new concept that's being introduced. Maybe they didn't have double, like both hands working in their blocks. Maybe they don't have the concept of hip rotation yet. Maybe they're learning double, you know, double techniques. So it's not just a step and punch, but it's a step and double punch. You know, that stuff needs to be considered and paced out properly for the class that you have, especially if you have a mixed class. Yeah. And then I think we could add on to that is the structure of classes too. You mm -hmm. have to have separation of ages mm -hmm. just because of their physical ability, yes. coordination, and everything. Yeah. But you also have to have separation of, of rank. In some cases. In yeah. some cases. Unless you're able to, let's say your dojo's smaller and mm -hmm. you could manage the different ranks within one class. Mm -hmm. But as that class grows, you, you have to really consider, okay, I need to break off another, another class because these people are not getting fed con consistently. Consider right? teacher to student ratio. Yeah, absolutely. Depending on age. Yep. And how, what is your capacity and how much can, how, how many people on the floor can you teach two different curriculum or two different ideas? Right. Um, that has to, that's a thing. So. so we run on average between 55 and 65 students and we have like 16 classes a week, I think. Yeah. So we have two classes for each age, the only one, or no, 17, I guess. Because of the intro class. Oh, and the black belt class. Never mind. So we have like our intro class, our black belt class. We have a four and five-year-old's class, a six to eight-year-old's class. We found that those ages have to be separated. And it looks totally different, four and five-year-old's class versus six to eight-year-old's. The nine to 12-year-old's class, we have split into a beginner's class and an intermediate class. Anyone past intermediate level just immediately goes into the advanced class. The, be the teens and adults class... Um, for a long time, we had everybody beginner and intermediate in the teens and adults class, but that class blew up this year. So and so we shut anyone who was like higher intermediate level, we shoved into the advanced class. So it became a kind of like high intermediate advanced class. Yes. And that structure has worked pretty well so far. Fifth Q and higher. Yes. Yeah. Basically fifth Q and higher is the, in the advanced intermediate class. advanced class. Now. And remember we have a black belt class that's separate. Right. So that has worked for the number of students that we have. We usually have fewer than six four and five year olds, which is plenty. Mm -hmm. Believe me, I don't need more than six at a time. Jeremiah may have anywhere between eight and, eight and sixteen. Um, yeah. Well, the, as far as the range yeah. between eight and sixteen, six to eight year olds. Yep. Um, the nine to twelve year olds class, when it grows, it usually has about thirteen to fifteen kids. Right now, it's a little smaller because right. we just advanced a bunch of kids. Right. Intermediate class, you're not going to be able to hand, like change that amount as much just because once you're separating it by rank that's different that's it. um but that class right now has like 15 kids right what, what, what happened was the, the influx of students have finally got to a point where mm -hmm. they needed to be separated yeah and what's i guess that's the other thing you need to consider too is like 
know when you have influx of students. Yes. You know, know that, like, we if know, we know that there's going to be a, an influx, a large influx right at the beginning of school. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be a smaller, like, influx at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Beginning of the calendar year, yeah. Beginning of the calendar year. And, mm-hmm. and that's just something we know is going to happen, so we prepare for it. And, and we align our tests and everything around that so that we can manage it more easily. Mm-hmm. So, And um, as far as you were talking about, like, earlier talking about, like, expectations for advanced ranks and explaining clearly and all that stuff. Jeremiah did talk about this on the last episode. I think more than any other piece of advice, anything business-related, any system, I think... The number one goal is if it well it should be, te- unless you're some kind of a scam artist. Your number one goal should be teaching quality karate. If you're gonna teach quality karate, you, you have to train. train. You have to train. Well, the whole all our systems when it comes to teaching is based on the fact that you are continually training. Yes, and you're continuing you to, to increase your knowledge. The problem right. is, is that if you do not know what you are doing, when you have someone who is just behind you, so you know if you're a Nidon or a Sandon, supposedly. What just happened to the... How did it shut off again? This is a freaking camera, I swear. If you are... <laughs> here, I'm going to cut it here. I'm going to edit it in a second. What? Why is it Pause. Here? I don't understand. Why did it show off? Alright, let's try this again. It might be... Yeah, you had it on for a minute there. Is it pretty hot? A little bit, but shit, it shouldn't matter. I had to edit audio before. Okay, maybe it'll work this time. Maybe there's a setting where it stays on longer or it shuts off after a certain amount. I don't know, maybe that's what it is. We'll start right back up at 34 minutes. Alright, so let's, let's just reiterate. What was maybe I saying? We're talking about... um. Continue to train, maintain your continue yep. training. So it's really important that you maintain, you continue to train yourself because if you don't, what happens is your student gets really close to where you're at, mm-hmm. and there's not much else you're providing that student, and they feel like they met their their top, right? Mm-hmm. And I and it's it's it makes common it makes it's common sense everywhere else but karate. For some reason in karate, the the you know you open your dojo, you start teaching. You stop. Majority of people stop training, or yeah. stop learning. Yeah. Right? No, it. You you have to continue your education so that you can provide a quality instruction for the next generation. Right. So it's literally preserving the long term run of your dojo by you continually train. It's. Yeah. It's a no brainer if you look at it that way, um, and then, you know, honestly. We're not here to tell you you got to train with this person or that person. What we right. will tell you is this: be a critical thinker. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you go to train with someone, if if it's if it if you go you scratch your head and you go, huh, then maybe that's not where you need to be. Yeah, and maybe you need to be somewhere else. But when you find that avenue, focus on it and have depth depth of knowledge. Depth of knowledge is more valuable as a teacher than breadth of knowledge. Yeah. Because you could take and, and take a technique and break it down and work on it for, let's say, a whole week. That's two classes each each um, each class, like each level, each age group. You could break it two classes down and let's say it's a simple step and punch. But 
with depth of knowledge, you can make that work. If you don't have that depth, then it becomes repetitive and, and no one's really getting anything out of it by the second class. And the other part of that is that if you have that depth, then you're able to clearly explain to a student why they are not up to par. I mean, oh, yeah. and, and you can't expect a student to be higher than what their rank is calling for, but the more knowledge that you have, the clearer expectations you can have for right. that progression to where you are. Like, what, what would be the expectation here and here and here and here? If it's abstract, in my opinion, that means that you don't have a clear enough view of what it is you know and then what they need to learn to get to where you are. And I am saying that having come from that perspective of not clearly understanding what I was doing and then not being able to clearly explain it to my students. Um, you know, we talked about this before. We have had to go back to students and be like, oops, we taught you this wrong. And we've been called out by our students for teaching them something differently one time versus another, you know, and they weren't, they weren't being rude by it, but they were like, hey, you taught this before. And we had to be like, yeah, yeah. I know it's because... I was wrong and being able to admit that and being able to show humility and continuing to improve your own craft, even if maybe your students wouldn't necessarily expect it. Maybe they don't know to expect that. Um, I think it does a lot as far as the student respecting you um, and then also valuing what you have to say. Yeah, it empowers the teacher, yeah. you know, to continually be able to say that and be like, listen, that was, I was wrong. And this is, this is scientifically the reason why, or, mm -hmm. you know, we're doing it this way. You know, mm -hmm. if you change the way you do something because of a syllabus or organization, then. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to, you can, you're on your own. There. You're on your own there, dude. You got to <laughs> kind of got to figure that one out, you know, but um, honestly, Continuing education is in all kinds of fields. It's required by the medical fields. It's required by a lot of coaching fields. It's required by a lot of different industries. Mm -hmm. And as a karate instructor, there should be no reason why you don't continue your education. Mm -hmm. I mean, if even if it's just, you know, you could just, if so, if you're running a, a sport karate club where it's more about tournaments and, and this and that, Taking referee classes, taking coaching classes, taking, you know, getting a higher level of um, referee license, you know, those things are continuing education because it's going to teach you on things you want. So, just keep going. Yeah, we're gonna keep the, going. The camera keeps shutting off because it's yeah. hot. Just, it's fine. Keep going. Um, so, you know, it doesn't have to be a specific kind of communicate can continue education. It can be as basic as kinesiology classes, mm -hmm. understanding how the body works better, mm -hmm. understanding those kind of things, just to give you a better verbiage and a better understanding of what you're do trying to explain. Yeah. So you have any other things to add to like the, no, nah, that's about it, man. I can't harp enough on continue education, continue training for instructors and the success they have in their dojo. Yeah. And you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah, I think overall, like, we're not necessarily the best at, like, marketing. So <clears throat> this was not, like, a marketing episode. Um, but I think running a quality operation, it's essentially, like, giving people no excuse to leave. That would be your fault. I mean, right. granted, things happen. But essentially, if you are crossing your T's and dotting your I's, even though you can't control everything, right. um, just trying to bring the best quality product, trying to have good communication with your students, um, with you know student parents, 
um, you know, creating a community, you know, actually, we actually didn't really get into that, but the idea of cultivating a community of people who enjoy doing what you're doing rather than, you know, pushing them away. And I'm not saying like being buddy, buddy with all of your students necessarily, but, you know, sharing passion with a group of people who are also passionate about this thing that you're passionate about. Um, I think that's really important as well because you're kind of, you know, it's like gym buddies. You're providing them a place to, a safe place to train and, you know, find a new, a new passion. Yeah. So what you've been working on? Um, so I've been working on that same combo, the whole jab, front arm down block, and then reverse punch step in thing. And essentially what I was working on, I was kind of not feeling so good for a couple weeks. So I haven't trained as much, but main thing I was working on was like keeping a somewhat level hip position and whenever doing a jab, try not to pick my foot up and stomp forward because that's not very efficient. So rather than just stomping, trying to reach better with that front foot, and I think I found a, a better way of doing it um, that helps me keep my height controlled and my pelvis more controlled. So a lot easier of a movement. So that's kind of been the main thing, mm. the main squeeze. Mm, awesome. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, sorry, camera cut off again. Eventually, we'll get the camera thing figured out. Uh, but thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.